Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. We started into this series with the concept that there is so much more about God that we probably don't even grasp. There's so much more about the God of miracles that I want to learn about, that I want to become uh, uh, connected with. And so it's with that that I've asked you to help me till the ground of our life, till the soil of this church and your, and, and your family to a place to where we can walk with, believe with, stand beside the God of miracles and see his miraculous power active in our life on a daily basis. So will you commit to do that with me? Will you say yes? Say yes. Amen. And so we're, uh, this is uh, our fourth week into this series. We're going to go for it, man. We're going we're gonna to keep, keep preaching and teaching and uh, studying and understanding our God, the God of miracles, until we get it. So we're going to go for a number of weeks in this series, and I think it's going to just change your life. We had a key scripture uh, in this series. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, this is the key scripture for the entire series. It's Jesus speaking. He says, he looks at them and he says, with men it is impossible but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Will you say that with me? For with God, all things are possible. Say it one more time. For with God, all things are possible. See, it may be impossible to have a multiracial church in light of what's happening right now with men, but with God, all things are possible. It might be impossible to have some type of uh, a breathing difficulties in the midst of a pandemic and survive it with COVID luring uh, on every corner. But I tell you, but with God, it's possible for you to walk in healing and health and vitality. They may be laying everyone else off at your job, and they look at you and say, it's impossible that you're going to keep your job. But with God, all things Things are possible. I'm going to keep saying it till you get it. I'm going to just tell you that right now. I'm going to keep saying it till it gets down deep in your soul, until it begins to shift the way you think and overtake the vain imaginations of your mind and know that you know that you know that you know that your God is not only able, but he's willing, that your God is not limited by time, space, difficulty, finances, sickness, disease. The God that you serve doesn't just love you, but he cares for you on a daily basis. He didn't just give you heaven, but he gave you heaven on earth. Come on, you there? Say yes. So it has been a great series. Miss Jamie brought a great word a couple of weeks ago. And then my buddy, man, what a great man of God last week, just teaching us as Pastor Bradstreet taught us about how God speaks to us in dreams. And he has to speak to us. He's the God of miracles. And for many of us, he has to speak to us in dreams because it's the only time we'll shut up long enough to hear him. So I'm convinced that God's always speaking to me in dreams, and, uh, and sometimes it was the, uh, the pizza the night before. But anyway, being able to know the difference. Now today, I'm going to be bold and courageous. You know, I'm always crazy, but I'm going to be super bold and courageous. And we're going to go into a teaching. Our session today is titled, uh, Purity Amidst Perversion. Purity Amidst Perversion. What happened to the church? When did we stop teaching us? how to be pure, and how to defeat all the perversion in the world in which we live. 
And so it's with that, and we have many of our children. We're doing a special time for them today just so that uh, I know some of you parents aren't ready to answer certain questions. You need to get ready, though. Life is real. It's happening. And so why not teach our young people what purity looks like from the church and not from YouTube, come on, somebody, or from what Disney says is right. And so it's, it's my job as your pastor not only to warn you, to train you, to strengthen you, but also connect you to the God who can keep you pure in the midst of perversion and that's the God of miracle are you there say yes so with that being said we study all throughout scripture that we find the people of God are constantly affected by the perversion around them in fact one of the most notable scenarios in scripture is Lot Abraham's nephew who's living in Sodom and Gomorrah In fact, let's turn there with me to Genesis chapter 18 and look at this for just a moment in Genesis chapter 18 God himself, along with some of his angels, come to visit Abraham. And while he's engaging with Abraham, he goes to leave. And he says, I cannot let Abraham go by the way without telling him what I'm about to do. So he tells Abraham he's about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Pick up with me in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 18. It'll be on the screens as well. So the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so blatant that I must go down and see if they are as wicked as the outcry again uh, suggest. If not, I want to know. And so in this engagement, Abraham, being the wise man that he is, begins to negotiate with God. He says, oh, Father, hold on just a second before you go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, where my nephew Lot lives and his family. Sir, before you go do that, can I, what if, what, you're such a good God, you're so righteous. Would you really destroy all those people if there were, maybe if there were 50 righteous people living there, would you have to destroy the whole city because of all the wicked folks? And God says to him, you know what, I'll spare the city if there's 50 and Abraham being the great negotiator that he is, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. well, if there's 50, would, would it not be even more righteous for you? If, would you not save the city if there was 40? And God says, you know what, I would do that for 40. And then he starts working, hey, give me 30, give me 30, how about 20 now, give me 20, 20. And he gets him all the way down to 10. He, I figure he's pressing his luck because I'm, I'm assuming that his whole game plan is surely Lot, his wife, his daughters, the people that work in their business, surely they're all righteous and serving God. So I'm assuming Abraham thought, surely there is 10. And God said, okay, if there's 10 righteous folks in this wicked cities, it's, it's a dual city, uh, twin cities, if there's 10 righteous, I'll spare it. So he sends the angels. And if you'll keep reading in chapter 18, the, the angels come into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they come into the cities, Lot sees them and he grabs them and brings them to his house. And while they're in discussion, the Bible says that the men of that city surround the house looking to be able to sexually assault those men that they didn't realize were angels. And so Lot, surrounded by perversion, affected by the perversion, makes a bonehead suggestion and says, Hey, listen, don't mess with these guys. I'll give you my daughters who've never been with anyone. And the men of the city said, No, We're going to kill you and everybody. Give us these men. And the Bible says the angels step out. They get Lot and his family heading out of the city. And they rain down sulfuric acid, sulfur fire down on top of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, archaeologists suggest that the 
Dead Sea, anybody know what the Dead Sea is? It's a sea that nothing lives in. It's salt bound. That the Dead Sea is the spot in which Sodom and Gomorrah had been. And so as God rains down fire and burns this city to the ground and all of its inhabitants, there's nothing left but a sea of dead salt. That's all that's left to this day. And Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed in that moment. But yet Lot and his family was spared except for the wife who turns back because she still longed for the wickedness of that city. We see that the believer, the followers of God are affected by the culture around them. The perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah affected Lot. It affected even the way he thought a little bit that he would be dumb enough to suggest, well, just take my, my daughters and have your way with them. You see the effects of perversion on the city. In fact, the book of Jude, it only has one chapter, but verse 7, look what it says in re- reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. In a similar way, the book of Jude, verse 7, in a a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Some had suggested that God destroyed uh, Sodom and Gomorrah because they were inhospitable. That's why he did it. Uh, that's not true at all. In fact, verse 7 clears it up for us. In a similar way, Jude chapter 1, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Now, you may not use that word perversion very much, so let me just define for you by the Webster's Dictionary. Perversion is defined as an alteration of something from its original meaning, its original intent. To pervert something is to change it from its original intent. And so when the scripture is talking about sexual immorality and perversion, it's referring to the alteration of God's original intent. When you study the Holy Scriptures, you realize that God looked at his creation, and of all of his creation, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He made Adam, and after a while, he said, it's not good. It's the only thing he said was not good, that man be alone. So he creates for him a helpmate, a female male he takes from him his side and creates a wife for him he puts them together now that's good and he gives them a command and that is to procreate and so it was God himself who created sexuality he created as we study scripture for two reasons for pleasure thank you Jesus and for procreation and everybody said amen and so that's why he created he didn't create two males to be together two females to be together Uh, he didn't create all these other things he created what has now been termed you know the 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 family unit wow he created mom and a dad and the children that they produce and this is God's intent this is God's plan and what's happened over the years is man has perverted that Satan has gotten in and caused that to be adjusted and because of we live in this environment and we're raising our children in this environment and we come out of this environment we are still connected to this perverted environment and to this perverted culture so it affects us everything from porn everything to sexually deviant behavior everything from just overwhelming in our minds with pictures and images of wickedness. And the Bible actually says it's improper for God's holy people to even mention what the wicked do in private, and yet we are constantly feeding on these things. And it's because we, like Lot, are living in a perverted generation. In fact, we see the same thing happening in the New Testament. Turn with me, if you will, for just a moment. Turn in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 5 and 1. The Apostle Paul 
has raised up this church in Corinth. Corinth is a very modern city. It's got modern technology. It's got all of the great philosophy. We have the Greeks and the Romans who are dominating uh, at this season of life, biblical times right here, and what is, you know, that whole Middle Eastern area. And so in verse uh, 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul brings about a rebuke to the church in Corinth. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans a man has his father's wife and you are proud exclamation mark showing the frustration agitation and intensity shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this Paul is saying listen even the pagans don't live like this and yet here in Christendom you've let this person live and be amongst you who is living in this type of sexual perversion a perversion of what God's original intent is a, an adjustment of what God had planned and that's where we get the word perverted and he says you've let this continue on and he rebukes them in 1 Corinthians by the time he writes them again in 2 Corinthians the people of God have repented of this sin they dealt with this individual he was pagan in his thinking, yet he's going to church. He's living in, uh, amongst the fellowship of believers. He's probably made a decision for Christ. He may even have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he's continued in perversion because that's what he's grown up in. That's what he's seen modeled. And this man is living in their midst and no one's correcting him. No one's saying, this is wicked. This is wrong. This is not what God has. This is outside of what God has planned. And no one's done that. So the apostle Paul says, y'all won't even tell me about it, but I've heard and as your spiritual daddy, let me say something. What, 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 what? No, sir. No, sir. And he says, that's not going to happen. And so by 2 Corinthians, when he writes them, they have obviously repented. And he says, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you that you took my correction. Because we have to stand for God in the midst of a perverted generation. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. We see it all throughout the New Testament. And guess what? We live in the same type of culture and society today. Think about it. When pastors are being exposed for adulterous affairs, pastors, come on, you committed to serve God and shepherd the people and to live righteous. Come on, men of God, what's wrong with you, women of God? What happened? When, we can, when we're constantly watching our politicians and our celebrities engage in sexual deviant and illegal activities, when porn sites, they're in the midst of a pandemic, offer free months just because they know the kids are at home and moms and dads are trying to go make a living and they're at home by themselves. They know good and well what they're doing. When we literally, we're watching movements today that, tip, that describe that their plan of mission is to destroy the nuclear family, to destroy the God family. It's written in their mission statements to destroy it. That's movements today. I want you to know what God has set in order with purity. There is a demonic force on the earth that's constantly trying to destroy that. Trying to destroy your purity. Trying to destroy my purity. Trying to destroy our family and what God has put in motion. And trying to redefine what family is. Trying to redefine what sexuality is. And friend, you and I have to come to a place where we let God heal us from the impurities. Let, let him set us free from the perversion that we live in and the effects that it has on our life. Are you with me today? Say yes. No, you can do better than that. Are you with me today? Say yes. So I want to teach you how do you and I get out of this? How do we, how do we not be like Lot? How do, we, how do we not be like the church in, in Corinth? How do we not let that stuff get on us and affect us? Because I'm telling you something. If you live in every day in the kitchen cooking roast beef, you're going to smell like roast beef. Come on, somebody. It's just going to happen. 
But I know the God of miracles. What's impossible with men is possible with God. And though we may live in this environment, and though our children may be affected by it, our God can supply us, sustain us, deliver us, and protect us. And I don't know about you, but I love getting around those folks in the, in, in the kingdom of God, those Christians, that the moment you get around them, you don't even sense anything wicked and perverted. You just, you know that they've been through some things, but the God of, of heaven has done such a miracle in their life, and you just can feel it and sense it. I want to be those kind of people. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. Let's, let's learn a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a key passage for this teaching, the God of miracles and how he can do a miracle in keeping us pure in the midst of perversion. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Or as Charles Barkley says, it's terrible. Just terrible times in the last days. Verse 2, people will be lovers. Pay attention to what's in here. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. And I highlighted, look at this piece, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So the, the, the book of Timothy gives us some real insight on how, on what's affecting us, what the real root of the perversion being able to affect us. It comes back down to what do you love? It comes back down to what you and I love. Listen, we're, we're, we're starting this new Bible uh, uh, peace uh, uh, study groups with our men this week. Man, we're going to go through this purity thing as men. We're going to, in small group life, I challenge you, every woman in this room, got a boyfriend or a husband, hit them in the side and say, you, you getting in one of them study groups. I'll tell you that right now. Because we're going to raise up the men of God in this church to be men of purity. We're going to start with the men and we're coming after you ladies. But we're going to start with the fellas and get us straight first. And we're going to make sure that we are walking in purity because I want to raise up children that can say, my daddy is a man of God. My daddy ain't got no hidden secrets. Ain't nothing. Look, you want to see his computer? You want to look at his, his backlogs? My daddy loves Jesus. My daddy has fought through that thing, and that thing ain't on him. He don't smell like that, look like that, act like that. I don't have to worry about where he's at in the middle of the night. I don't have to worry about who he's talking to, you know, on DM and back and forth. My daddy, he knows Jesus. I want to raise up men like that, and we're going to start with us. Are you with me, men? Say yes. It comes down to perversion comes down to what do we love? And in the book of Timothy, points out that in the last days, there'll be terrible times because men, men and women, humanity, will love themselves more than they love God. And it even points out that we will love pleasure more than we love God. This is a love issue. This is all about love. And it's about a perversion of the word love. It's what is love? What's love? Thank you, Sean. It's about what is love. And so, you know what? I, I did some study on this, and, and, and I wanted to bring this out to you. In the scriptures, in the Greek words used for love, there are four definitive words, love, used in four definitive ways in scripture. C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book about it, and he called it the four loves. And I want to study these for just a moment. I want you to write these down. So there are Greek words, so you understand our New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek language was the predominant language of the day, so it's written in Greek. And so when they say love, when it's translated in English love, it many times we just use the word love, a general word, love, but it has different meanings of love. And I want to break down these four meanings that we see in scripture, both in the Hebrew and 
in the Greek and kind of give you kind of an understanding. But we'll look at the Greek words. We'll start with the first type of love that the Bible describes, and that word is eros. Eros. Okay? Eros. And that is romantic love. I have three children. I understand eros. That's romantic love. And that is always positioned in proper order between a husband and a wife in a committed marriage commitment. That's where it's always laid out in Scripture as proper. Where we see it, uh, and we see the Song of Solomon really speaking of Eros love. And it goes into all this romanticism about a husband and a wife. And the romanticism of the Eros love, the, the sexual love, the enjoyment and the pleasure that they have within the marriage and the marriage commitment and the beauty of it. Then the Bible also uses Eros love when it's communicating about the perversion of Eros love. And outside of what God intended. And it begins to point out things like homosexuality and point out uh, in, in, in incest and things like that. Trying to bring eros love into the wrong environment trying to bring romantic love into the wrong environment here's the second type of love that the bible really teaches and that is love story storge storge okay and that is an empathetic bond that's what that love is talking about and so what happens is if you put eros love in the wrong place then you get perversion Okay, so storge love in the Greek, or empathetic love, that's the love that you have in a family unit. You have, this, you have this empathetic bond, excuse me, this empathy bond. We have this thing, thing that we love each other, we care for each other. I love my children. I don't want to have eros love with my children. That's perverted. Are you tracking with me? But we live in a generation that has turned everything into eros love. Everything. In fact, said that that is the goal in every relationship. And that is outside of what God's plan is. Therefore, we get the word perverted because it's an, it's an adjustment. It's a, it's a default away from what was originally intended. Here's the third type of love, and maybe you've heard this, and this is filet love. Filet love. And that is a friend bond. We see this in Scripture. Jonathan and, and, and David, they had, they had filet love. I mean, filet love. I mean, it was tight. It was a friend bond. It's, what I, it's the reason why our church is built on small group life, because I want you to have friend love. Because we got enough Eros love trying to destroy us. We got enough of what's it. I want you to have bros that got your back, man. I want you to have another brother who says, bro, we got this. Come on, I'm going to pray with you. You are not losing your marriage over this. I want you to have sisters in the faith standing beside you. I want you to have other couples that you have, er that you have this filet love. In fact, it's where we get the, the term, the, in fact, the, 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 the title Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's because for this Greek word right here. That there should be this bond there's, where we got each other's back. Well, how perverted to have two couples that have filet love and then all of a sudden they start trying to turn it into eros love. This is where we have the erotic come from. This is the perverted that we're dealing with in our generation. Is that we have taught a generation for the last 50, 60, 70 years that it's all about sexual pleasure. It's about eros as much every relationship. And so we don't have clear definitive lines of the love that we really need. And then that brings me to the final and the most important of all the loves we find in the Bible. And that is the word agape love. And this is the unconditional love that God has for humanity. This is the unconditional love that... Uh, uh, now, each one of these types of loves, we need them in our lives. Uh, we need them. God made us to have Eros love within the beauty of a marriage. He made us to have that. Well, there's this thing inside of us needs that. 
He made that. And there are those that God has called to celibacy. They have this gift from God that they don't need that. The Apostle Paul talks about it in other passages. But for every one of us else, we need that that romantic love. We need that beauty of the sexual engagement. God put it inside of us to need that. Each and every one of us need that family love. In fact, because of the brokenness of the family, that's why we begin to try to fill that family love with some type of other type of love. And because of the brokenness of friendships, we don't know how to be friends. We don't know how to love each other. We've got such turmoil amongst the color of our skin because we don't know how to love each other. Because we don't even care. Because we say, no, I don't understand you. You don't understand me. Up yours. And we begin to divide over this type of love. This is what's missing. But the reason why there's such intensity right now, because we all miss that love. We need that love. I need my brothers and sisters. I, I need you. I need you in my life. You need me in your life. We need each other in each other's life. This is what's under attack. This is what's under attack. And in the last days, there will be terrible times. Because the right loves will be perverted. And men will love themselves more than they love their brothers and sisters. Children will be rebellious to their families, to their moms and dad, because they don't understand the kind of love that brings submission to those who God has put in your life. Church folks will split off because they refuse to care for one another and submit and surrender and love their leaders even though their leaders are imperfect, even though their leaders are not the best they could, they could ever. They're not Jesus. These are the loves that are under attack, and this agape love fills it all and brings it all to a point. When you and I are full of agape love, then what happens is all of the other loves fall into place. They really do. The starting point For humans to really be able to love properly comes to agape love. When we accept and embrace the love of the Father. I don't know if you know this, and I obviously missed this in biology class. My wife corrected me. She says, everybody knows that. She told me that last night. But physically, our bodies begin to, when we are thirsty, when we have, when we need to replenish our water table, many times our body will send us mixed signals Thinking, and we think that we need to eat, the mixed signals are that we're hungry when really we're dehydrated and we need water. Your same thing happens with your psychology of, you, of who you are. You'll get mixed signals that you think what you need is erotic love, what you think you need is romantic love, when really what you need is agape love. You thirst for the love of the Father. In fact, I want to point out this passage to you in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. This makes sense when you put it into understanding that God has these different communications or these different stages or phases of love. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world. Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. So John is pointing out, when you don't have enough agape love flowing through your veins, when you don't have enough, and we call it our love tank. When your love tank is not full of agape love, then you begin to look for some type of other love. And our generation says, oh, what you need is eros. You need more sexual You need more of that. And so then we fill, 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 fill ourselves with that. Pornography, same-sex attractions, all these different things because that's what our generation has taught us is where love is at. It's taught us this is what love is. And it's such a perversion of what real love is. Love has multiple aspects of it. Yes, eros is part of it, but so is family love. So is friend love. So is God the Father love, that unconditional love. And can I tell you something? When you and I are deplete of agape love in our love tank, 
we begin looking to places that can never satisfy those holes in our heart, in our tank. In fact, we're working with a ministry called Pure Desires. And they put a stat out that I thought was unbelievable. In all of their research, the thousands and thousands and thousands of research engagements with people that they have done, look what they found. 70% of men struggling with sexual bondage come from homes where rules override relationships. Where rules override relationships. 70% of the men who are struggling with sexual addictions are coming from homes where it's like, be right, do right, be right, do right. These rules. And there's no father love. There's no family love. It, it's gotten taken over by be right, do right, don't embarrass the family, this, that, and the other. And so because that love is depleted in them, they go looking for other love. They go look for other love. And what our generation tells us, it's found in sexual or it's found in eros type of love. I want you to know something. If you want to bulletproof you, your family, from the perversion that we live in, learn how to get a hold of agape love in your life. Fill yourself up with the love of the Father, the Father's love, that unconditional love. See, every one of us desire to be loved unconditionally. And only the God of heaven and earth, the creator, can love you unconditionally. He's the only one. Because you're going to fail a spouse. They're going to do their best to forgive you, but you're going to fail them. Only God the Father says, you're mine. And no matter how many times you fall down, I'll pick you back up. No matter how many times you cuss me and turn your back on me, I will love you and I will be here for you. Everyone in humanity knows even if they're pagan and they don't, even if they're atheists, they know this one truth. That if there even is a God, that that God has the ability to love me when no one else can love me. Even the most pagan person knows that. Oh, and we as believers know this. That my God will never leave me or forsake me. He loves me. I, he's the child that only a God the Father could love. I'm the child that only a God the Father can love because I've been brutal. I've been idiot. I've been this. I've been that. But agape love, when you're full of that then you can begin to really love others in a way that is proper and righteous and good. So I want to give you a couple thoughts, steps to increase agape love. Can I share that with you for a moment? Would you be all right with that? Here's a couple steps that I find in Scripture and over my life. Steps to increase in agape love. Number one, you and I need to acknowledge his great sacrifice. You want to get to stepping into a deeper agape love relationship with the Father? You've got to stop and say, I realize that you died for me, that you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever would be. God so loved me. He so agaped me. He so agaped me that he made the greatest sacrifice. He sent his only begotten Son. And all I have to do is believe in him, and I will not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, that sounds so simple. What do you mean? Listen, every day, what I love about my dad, what I love about some other great men that, that I've been around, is those guys that are pure and righteous before the Lord. You know what they do? They wake up every day and say, thank you, Jesus. I can't believe that you let me serve you. I can't believe that you saved me, that you pulled me out of the miry clay. Because the Bible says, who's been forgiven much, loveth much. What's happened? to many of us is we become spoiled rotten we grew up around the church we grew up in the church so we expect God to do things for us and when he don't do things for us we get kind of frustrated with him and we get kind of agitated and we start acting like a spoiled little hedge fund child and you and I need to wake up every morning and say thank you Jesus I can't believe that you let your love abound in me I can't believe that not only that the demons are surrendering to me but my name is written in the Lamb's book of life you and I need to be grateful and acknowledge the great sacrifice all throughout the day when I do something stupid I just throw my hands 
hands and I say, thank you that you're so gracious and you love me and you, have, you, you give me grace and mercy every morning. We sing about it, but we don't live it. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you I'm not a pervert or a liar or a thief or anything more. Lord, I know I'm still not where I want to be, Lord God, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm so grateful for your sacrifice that gave me a way out of my mess. That gratefulness is a step in the right direction to fill yourself up with some agape love because I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to love somebody and they acting like they don't want none of it, what do you want to do? My natural response is like, deuces. Like, suck it, I don't care. Thank God agape love is not in that kind of love. It's not limited to your foolishness. Thank you, Jesus. He keeps loving you, and you slapping him, you pushing his hand away, and he just keeps loving and loving and loving, like that Labrador. It's like, look, leave me alone. I had a friend of mine say, God just chased him down every day until he finally surrendered. He said he was sitting in the stall at Wendy's and had the needle in his arm. God, leave me alone. And he heard God speak to him audibly. I will never leave you alone because I love you. What kind of love does that? Agape love. See, when your tank is full of agape love, the other loves come naturally and you don't need eros love to be dominant in your life. Are you there? Say yes. Here's the second way to increase or steps towards increasing in agape love. And that is repent of our engagement with perverted love. Repent of our engagement with perverted love. We live in this mess. Yeah, we engage in it. Yeah, it, it gets on us. Just repent. So, Lord, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want Eros love to dominate my life. I don't want the thoughts and the, and the, and the perversions of this generation to, to, to control my thinking. God, I repent. Repent daily. Repent hourly. Stay in the pocket of repentance. I've learned that. I don't understand why people think repentance is a bad thing. I've taught you this before. That makes no sense to me. I don't know if you got bullied by some pastor. I don't have any idea. Repentance is the greatest thing. It is the most beautiful gift that God has ever given us. I want you to think about what repentance looks like this. I've taught you this before. Imagine it's, it's the 100-meter dash. You're all lined up, and, and, and you're running for Jesus, and you stumble. Oh, I blew it. And you step up and say, Dad, can we do it again? He goes, yeah, restart. Let's go. Okay. I get to do it again. That's repentance. Repentance is okay. And you get to go in and you fall down. You know, oh, I fell down and they all keep running. And I'm a loser back here and I just can't keep up with all these other Christians. I keep stumbling and fall. Dad, can I try again? Do again. Let's go. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if every time you defaulted on the lawn, the bank said, try again. We won't take it from you. You would be like, I love these people. That's repentance. God lets us repent and restart us. The greatest agape love should fill our hearts and minds how good he is to us. And here's the third thing that I would teach you if you want to increase in agape love. And that is you need to actively pursue a relationship with the Father. That's not a game. I'm not talking about good or bad. I'm talking about, do you know Father God? Is he your dad? I mean, do you, when the world is crashing down on you, do you say, pause, I'm going to go sit in the arms of my father? I don't listen to worship because I'm a pastor. I worship 
Because I need to tap into agape love. I need to get in there with God. And I just need to tell me again how much you love me because I'm not feeling it right now. Can I, can I just sit at your feet a little bit? He looked at Martha and he said, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things. But your sister's sitting here. There's only one thing that matters. Come be with me. Come build the relationship with me. Why are we so quick to network with everybody but except God? We're trying to advance our businesses and our life, and we're reading everybody's thoughts, and you're reading all these great business people. That's great, and all these great thinkers. That's great, but they're not the creator. They're not dad. At the end of the day, they don't really care about you. They just want you to buy their books so they can make more books so they can make more money. At the end of the day, they are not going to come bail you out of jail. At the end of the day, they are not carrying the deep things of your heart and caring about you and working all things out for your good. They don't care. They're working for themselves. And yet we put our faith and trust in these bosses and these other people and trying to get ahead. Father God, build a relationship. Pursue it. Learn him. Some of you guys that are married, when you were hoping to get the attention of that sweet one who is now your wife, you were, you were crazy. You pursued her. I was talking to a friend the other day, a couple of weeks ago in church, and I said, I'm so proud of you dating this girl. He said, I just outlasted her. I just outlasted her. <laughs> and, and he was so silly. He goes, you know, because I'm not a looker. I was like, yes, you are. Come on. He goes, no, nah, I'm really not a looker, but I pursued her. And uh, why would we not pursue Father God? Chase him down. Wake up early in the morning and say, Lord, I don't really understand you, but I want to. And for me, that incorporates not just worship. I read his holy word because I want to know him. I'm pursuing a relationship with him. I get around others who know him. I ask them questions. So tell me about, so, so when you do this and God, have you had him speak to you like that? See, we're studying the God of miracles. What's impossible with men is possible with God. He said, I just have never been able to break through the, just, you know, just even hear God's voice. What's impossible with men is possible with God. Your daddy loves you. He wants to speak to you. Start asking, would you talk to me? Would you speak to me in dreams? Would you talk to me audibly? I need to hear your voice. Keep calling out to him. Because the Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him. The God of miracles can deliver us from the perversion that we live in. A couple years ago, I brought a man into our congregation by the name of Cy Rogers. He's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever known. One of the most magnificent theologians I've ever been around. Cy Rogers' story goes, though, when he was a young man, I believe his, his mom died, and his dad was not very affectionate. And so, because he was a little bit more artistic than the other boys growing up in the 60s, they began to call him gay. And so, looking for love in all the wrong places, he quit going to church as a young man and he started believing that he was gay. So he got involved in a homosexual lifestyle. It increased and increased and increased. He tells the story that, that uh, he just was looking for love. And he got to the place where he was going to do a, a, a transgender operation. And the Lord grabbed a hold to him. He paused on the operation. He came back to Christ. And that's a beautiful story. But that's not the glorious part of his story. The glorious part of his story was he got involved in a church. And he said in all the other churches, the men of the churches, the moment he would go visit, they would all look at him like, there's a gay guy. Stay away from him. Moms would pull their children away from talking to him. He said, but he got involved in this one church, and the men of that church surrounded him. He said, and they began to love me with an agape love. 
And their love for the first time, men love me without an eros love. Without a sexual love. He said, and that love looked a lot like a dad's love supposed to look like. He said, they corrected me. They called me out. He said, and I still struggle with same-sex attraction. He said, I still had difficulties with my old lifestyle. He said, but those men surrounded me, and they loved me with an unconditional love. They spanked me. They encouraged me. They helped me get jobs. They stayed, come over in the middle of the night when I was having a freak-out moment. He said, they loved me, and he said, it was from them that I learned agape love. And I went on a journey to know the love of the Father. When he stood here in front of us two years ago, he was traveling the nations of the world, speaking in universities, speaking to the most intelligent minds of our generation, calling them into an understanding of the love of the Father. His understanding of Eros love and the perversion that our generation has done with that was astronomical. He helped so many of us. He was so beautiful. My, my favorite statement that he always would make, if you don't judge my residue, he'd do it like this, if you don't judge my residue, I won't judge yours. And I used to crack up with that. I'd high-five him after service like, dude, you're the greatest. What happened when the church stopped loving in these four ways? It's because we have less agape love and more eros love in our love tank. And when romantic love begins to bleed over into the other relationships where it should never be, then it's perverted and it begins to destroy the relationships that should be full of love and confidence and faith and peace that our children would have to be scared of an adult because of their pervertedness when it comes to Eros love is sad. That we can, back in the day where we could let our kids go down the street and ride their bikes and not be scared that someone would uh, assault them. The fact that we have to live in that. Or that there's some online opportunity where they could see the most vile acts of perversion known to man. I tell you, it may be impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. We can be pure. We can come into purity. He can free us. He can fill us with the agape love and change our lives forever. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815. Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.